Welcome to the Fourth Watch Podcast, a curated conversation with some of the most interesting voices in the media. I'm Steve Krakauer. Today, we're talking the state of the media and the incredible success story of Barstool Sports with Barstool Sports CEO Erica Nardini. This is episode 24. On the rise of gambling content and what live sports means for the media, on the podcast Wild West and the importance of IP, on the critiques of Barstool, we start with Nardini's five years as Barstool CEO and the evolution of the brand. Thanks so much for doing this. I want to start, uh, you recently in July uh, reached five years as Barstool CEO. Uh, and this this came after you know, sort of an interesting time in Barstool's history. In January of 2016, uh, the churning group acquired a majority stake in it. And you came over from uh, various marketing and sales jobs, for, uh, also was were the CMO of AOL. And, and I want to ask you kind of just at the forefront, and then I want to dig into some different areas. But five years in, what do you think on a big picture on the evolution of the brand and the business over these, these last five years? Yeah. Um, it's so that, thanks for, thanks for including me and for having me, obviously it's staggering. It's, it's kind of, in some ways it feels like a hundred years, Steve. And in other ways, it's hard to believe it's, it's been only five. I think uh, it's been a staggering it's been a staggering five years, I would say. Um, I think we have been so exploratory, ex- explosive, experimental. Like those are the types of words that I would use. You know, in 2016, when I got to Barstool, Barstool Sports had been around since 2003. Uh, but it was in 2016, it was still very regional. It was a brand that resonated very deeply but in very, very core pockets, I, I would say in the Northeast Corridor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was predominantly a blog. Um, it, we had 15 employees. Uh, we were doing, you know, under $5 million in revenue. Uh, there wasn't a, really a company or an infrastructure. There, we weren't doing video. Podcasts, you know, were so nascent. Um, and what I'm most proud of and really... What I think is breathtaking is just how much we have done in the five years, how many brands we've launched, how many how many um, personalities we've helped create, how many trends that we've brought to life over the Internet. So yeah. I think the brand itself went from being something that was contained and you know, it went from being one thing to being way more of an ethos and many different things, none of which necessarily look like one another. And I think it's that level of exploration and failure and experimentation um, and really just harnessing the internet that that has made it so exciting. Yeah, that is crazy to think 15 employees when you started five years ago and now you see the amount of content that comes out uh, of barstool on a typical day on a week it's it's insane keeping track of the barstool sports reality show and the mini reality shows within that world 
I listen to your 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 podcast, Token CEO. I listen to the Dave Portnoy show and and a couple others. And there's a there's almost like a reality TV quality to Barstool Sports, but it's not just Barstool and like what's happening in the world of Barstool. But there are dozens now of these like ancillary satellite reality shows that are happening simultaneously that all have their own fan bases and all have you know inner workings and and you really I mean it's it's it, it's amazing to me that like you can consume as much content as you can and be able to kind of be in the know about, you know, who's doing what and who's saying what, and this person is, is, you know, feuding with this person publicly and what, what this, you know, inside joke is related to. Can you talk about kind of the ancillary brands that you've built that, that make up the kind of, uh, you know, ethos of Barstool? Sure. Um, and I think a more succinct way that I could describe, answer your last question also is that, when in 2016, Barstool was a thing. It, it looked a certain way. It it had very specific shows. It did certain things. In 2021, Barstool is an attitude. And it that attitude, that way of doing content, that way of connecting with fans has manifested in all sorts of different ways and all sorts of different colors and in all sorts of different places. I think that's that's the biggest change. That's the greatest success that we have had in the last five years. Yeah. And I part of it to, to your question just now is, you know, if you look at Spit and Chicklets, right? Spit and Chicklets was, you know, a hockey podcast we launched in 2016. It's now arguably the most influential brand in hockey, period. It is the single biggest podcast in Canada. It's wow. hosted by two ex, you know, NHLers and a couple average hockey fan guys. And we've created memes around it. We've created a flavored vodka from it. We've created, a, you know, multiple video series. We're doing live events. We've created hockey tournaments. So that's one example. Another example is if you look at Caller Daddy, right? Where, you know, we saw Alex Cooper and Sophia on the internet. We brought them in. We gave them microphones and cameras and said, have at it. And they built, you know, and Alex had really propelled Call Her Daddy to be a cultural force for women talking about sex. That could only happen here. Um, and it, it, all of those, you know, that goes all the way down the line, million dollars worth of game. If you look at Wallow and Gilly talking about Black culture, talking to inner city black youth about what they need to do to live their best life and making jokes and talking about music and launching people's careers. Like there's, there's so many different worlds that orbit around Barstool Sports. Pardon my take is its own world. Foreplay, which is our golf podcast, that's its own world. Um, and, and what I'm really most interested in is that what we have been able to do uh, because we do things so differently than traditional media or internet media is we've taken formats and people at, that are free and readily available. We have turned those into lifestyle brands and cultural forces. And that is, 
you know, that takes a special alchemy that takes an incredible amount of work. It takes a lot of fortitude because to your point, you've got to be able to ride not only all the trends and all the business bullshit, but you've got to keep it interesting. Somebody's yeah. got to be fighting with someone else. You always have to have an enemy. You have to be able to manage crisis to your advantage. So I think all of those things are part of what has made this so special. Yeah, it's, it is. And I want to talk about Collar Daddy uh, later as well, because I think that that's an interesting case study, not just on the barstool side, but really just about media in 2021 in general. Um, but let me go back because I want to, you know, heap some praise on, on you in your five years here. Um, it was interesting. I, I looked at some of those early articles and Dave's announcement about your hire back in, in July of 2016. He described you as having big ass balls dragging on the ground. Um, but it was funny. I, I heard a Dave Portnoy show where he was asked about your five years. This was only a couple weeks ago. And he described you as, as arguably the most important hire we've ever made. He said you were a perfect hire. And I'm curious, you know, now looking back on it and, and, and working so closely with Dave and on, on building what you've you've built, what do you think it was in that moment, even five years ago, that it was like, this is a match that has to happen and, and we're able to kind of bring it to where it is today? Uh, you know, I love Dave from the moment I met him. I, um, and I say that with every ounce of respect. Like I, you know, it's funny. I had met the Chernin group. Uh, I had met the Chernin group, I think in January of 2016, maybe December of 2015. And they had mentioned that they had just made an investment in Barstool Sports. And I absolutely freaked out. And <laughs> all I wanted to do was talk about Barstool Sports. I loved Barstool Sports. And I left that meeting, Steve, so jealous uh, because I felt that they would find someone that looked just like them. They would find uh, a guy with an MBA who had a sports media background um, who would be a good fit for Barstool Sports. And, and that's, that is, candidly, what they were looking for, right? I mean, he, he, Dave interviewed dozens of kind of, you know, male <laughs> potential executives there. Yeah, I mean, they went, you know, 50 plus candidates all with that profile. Um, and so I, I, I stalked, uh, my network to get me connected with Dave Wow! because I really wanted to meet Dave. I thought Dave was, you know, I didn't know him, but I had so much, I loved his writing. I loved his attitude. I thought he was so ballsy, um, and brave and that, you know, he had done something that I had always been afraid to do in my career, which is to go out on his own and take a bet on himself and put up a shingle and make it work. I had, I had come, I was moving, I had moved up through a corporate structure, um, and was starting to become increasingly less corporate as my career went along. And that's, I think the meeting of the two of us, one is we both loved this brand. He obviously created it. Two, I was, I think, the only person that they interviewed. So of the 70 people or whatever, 70 guys, uh, who didn't tell him he needed to change it uh, and who appreciated it for what it was. Wow. And the third was that, you know, if you if you if you think about someone like me coming into a company, like I, I've met a lot of founders. And I've met a lot of founders looking for the me of their company. And most of them really, they say they want a CEO, they say they want the business person, but they don't really want it. They don't want to cede control. They don't want to cede power. They don't want to 
uh, they don't want to feel insecure about what they've done. They don't want to evolve from where they've been. And honestly, what I loved the most about Dave beyond being a fan of him and his work was that he knew what he didn't know. And he was so open and accepting of me coming in to fill those places. And then I think the the real success of our partnership has been, you know, he says it better than I do, which is, if you ask me, I would defer to Dave. If you ask Dave, Dave would defer to me. Like we have a true connected partnership where we know we are in this together. We care about the same things. We see the world very similarly, but we bring different skills to the table right. in how we manage that. Yeah. We've talked about this when I was on your podcast talking about authenticity and you, it's something that you obviously can't fake. You can't, uh, you know, inorganically build something that's authentic. And, uh, and that is something that, that certainly comes through even in the evolution, even in the way that Barstool has changed from, as you mentioned, you know, 2003 to today, it doesn't feel inauthentic in any way, which is, which is very hard to do, especially when there's big money involved. I mean, you're talking about massive, you know, investment from Penn into Barstool um, and, and uh, of course, at the churning group. Um, now uh, the score is in the mix, Penn getting, getting that for $2 billion. I want to talk about gambling next as a content play. But as you build the brand to this giant size that it is now, keeping the authentic roots, I, I'd imagine, has been one of the bigger challenges, but also something that is so important. Yeah. You know, it's, Authenticity is funny because it, you you only know it when you see it and you either feel it or you don't. Um, and I think, you know, part of the reason TikTok is such a, you know, is such a successful platform right now, I'm so interested in TikTok, is it just feels more authentic than Instagram. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the evolution from your perfect vacation, your perfect bikini shot, your perfect family, your perfect college life to messy weirdos doing videos on TikTok. Like that's authenticity. And I think for us, you know, we made the Chernin group nervous for so long because we were just so fucking out there about everything that was happening. Uh, <laughs> Who was getting fired? Who was getting hired? Who was fighting in the office? Uh, when we failed, we talked about it. Right. Uh, when we were in a contract dispute, we spilled it. What the dispute was about. So this, the idea of radical transparency, is in my opinion so integral to what makes Barstool so special. And you know, it's so interesting to me. Is you know, it's funny. I. I uh, I did. I had a meeting this week with another big internet media company, and it was interesting, Steve. Where I just was listening to the words that they used, and they don't. They didn't use consumer words. They didn't talk in English. They, it was strategy and all these business words. Every word was a business word, and they're trying to purport that they're a consumer business. And I'm like, you're just not an authentic consumer business because if you had an authentic consumer business, you would talk like a human being. Yeah. And I think that radical transparency plus the ability to sniff out like what's real and what's not, um, it is a, is a big part of what makes Barstool an attitude, not a thing. Because if you look at 
Deion Sanders versus million dollars worth of game versus Dan Katz or Dave Portnoy or any one of the goof troop we have wandering around here or me. It's like what you see is what you get. And we're we're we own it. No one here has ever purported that they are perfect nor flawless. And I think that's the other big difference, which is media for so long has been predicated on this notion of perfection, the yeah. right lesson, the right set, the right script. We don't have any of that. <laughs> right. And it gets to the transparency, too. And honestly, it makes me think a little bit. I I think that the, one of the biggest mistakes that, that certain people in the media make and they, they say to me is, um, you know, don't read the comments. They say, you know, uh, you, you do your work and you put good work out there. Don't read the comments. And the comment section is toxic and it's uh, it's just a cesspool. And I, it, it strikes me that Barstool is not a place that that has that philosophy, that, that there's actually potential value in the comments, that you might learn something, that it, that it might actually, you know, change or, or affect or, or maybe bring you something new that you weren't thinking about before. And, and I think that's one of the big mistakes that large media corporations make is this idea that we're above the comments. Well, I think that traditional media thinks they're above the consumer. Yeah. Traditional media thinks it's smarter than the listener or the viewer. And we never, no one here ever, if anything, we think that we're dumber than the consumer and (laughs) part of the appeal. But I think there's two issues with traditional media. One is that they were disintermediated from the consumer because they had the luxury of getting paid by, you know, cable operators, right? Or there, there was an intermediary between the content creator and the actual person watching it. And what got in the middle was the advertiser. And so if you, you know, building a business for an advertiser, which I've done for, you know, 20 years versus building a business for a consumer, radically different things. Right. And then I think the second piece of it is that you are exactly right, which is the comment section, that's life. You know what I mean? Like nobody likes a comment section. Our talent and personalities hate the comment section. Mm -hmm. And I understand why. It's hurtful. Um, They shit on me all day long. Like it sucks to read that you suck every day. But I think the thing that's different about us is we don't pretend that things aren't as they are. We see things for what they are and understand where the opportunity is in that to be better to be different, to understand how the tides are changing or sentiment is shifting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so important to, uh, to not be set in your ways and kind of dig your heels. And when, when it's clear things are not working or when they are working, it's just, it's, it's, it's an important trait coming up on Barstool Sports, making major inroads in the world of gambling content and live sports. Why? And why do some Barstool Sports news stories bring up all the old critiques of the brand? That's next. But first, With shades of the Covington High video, a clip of the Colorado Rockies game recently made the rounds on Twitter, largely driven by forces in the media like Philip Lewis of HuffPost, who tweeted this. Some fans were screaming the N-word as loud as he could at Miami Marlins player Lewis Brinson at Coors Field and shared a video, five seconds, that got, oh, about 5,000 retweets. As we now know, the fan was not screaming the N-word. Instead, he could be heard screaming Dinger, another word for a home run and also the name of the Rockies Triceratops mascot who happened to be a few rows away from the fan behind home plate. Somehow, there was not a moment of hesitation before the media began reporting what the supposedly racist fan was yelling. Few took a step back, thought through the circumstances and the potential context. No, 
The media instantly reported the story as yet another unquestionably racist incident. The Associated Press, CNN, The Washington Post all reported that a racial slur was said by the fan. No alleged, no reportedly, no the Rockies are investigating weather, which that would be accurate, but they just reported as if it did happen. Within hours, the Rockies put out a statement announcing the fan was just yelling dinger. The media all updated their stories and everyone moved on. Well, Almost everyone. USA Today published a column implying that if you thought the fan said dinger originally, maybe you were the racist. What word did the what word did you hear that Rockies fan yell? The answer probably depends on your life experience, wrote the tweet to the Mike Freeman column. How does this keep happening? More with Erica coming up, but the first, the fourth watch podcast is presented by The First TV. The First is a new network for free speech and big ideas featuring Bill O'Reilly, Dana Lash, Buck Sexton, and more. It's a forum for new thought, new approaches, and an enlightening voice for a new America that embraces the founding principles and ideals that form the greatest country on the planet. The First is free. No subscription, no credit card, no trials, no censorship. Watch The First TV on Pluto TV, Distro TV, Apple TV, The First TV app, and more. Go to thefirsttv.com to learn more. And now, back to Erica Nardini. Let me ask you about gambling next, because it's, it seems like a big investment. And, and I think, you know, people think of gambling as obviously it's, it's growing in, in the United States and different states are doing that. And I know Barstool Sportsbook is growing in, in different states as well in uh, the lead up to the NFL season. And obviously, like I mentioned, the score as well now being part of this. Um, but it does seem that gambling as a content play is a fairly new operation, a fairly new proposition here. Uh, so so what does that, do you think, mean for where Barstool goes later this year and, and into the future? So, you know, we are in an era of convergence. Um, it is really, I think we are in a huge era of convergence. Podcasts are video, video is podcast. Gambling is live sports, live sports are gambling. Um Influencers are media, media is influencers, right? Like there's so, there's this, things are very messy. What makes us so effective is that we live in the mess. You know, people make fun of like, oh my God, aren't you like even COVID, right? Like everyone's like, oh my gosh, you know, our office is open, thriving. People have been coming to work for over a year. And I, and they're like, how do you do it? I'm like, we live in a Petri dish, like, and <laughs> dish that is the internet. Right. And, so, you know, I'm really excited about the the connection between betting and content. Um, content is a far cheaper marketing vehicle, a far better marketing vehicle than an advertisement. Uh, when you look at most of the companies in the sports betting space, one, the biggest drain on their EBITDA is their marketing spend. Uh, so when you look at all the investments, all the public market money that goes into a sports betting company, that's all going to pay for marketing. Um, I think most of those ads suck. I think they're like credit card companies or airlines or the insurance carriers, like it's or the banks. Like it's uninteresting. It's undifferentiated. There's so much legal mumbo jumbo that comes with everything. But content is different because content can make you feel something. Live sports can make you want something, which is an outcome. And mobile can make the transaction of your feeling into a bet instantaneous. And that increases engagement. So, you know, I think you're only going to see more connection between content companies, live sports, and sports betting. And then I think that will carry on through to live entertainment, like anything can, is bettable. Right. 
So, um, and you're only going to see more of that. And you know what I'm what I'm really excited about with the score and with Penn and with us is, you know, in my opinion, there's no better organic marketing slash content platform for you know a millennial audience and you know Gen Z and and even up to people in their 50s than barstool sports. Right? We understand the internet. We're broadly distributed across the internet. Our level of engagement the level of fandom, the diversification of our brands, like nobody is playing at all on, at the same speed on all those platforms and in a way that is as nimble as we are. Nobody. Right. And then, then you add, you know, but it's, it's entertainment, right? It's comedy. And then you add the score, which is, you know, the score is much more analogous to an ESPN, right? They have credible reporting. They've got stats. They've got tools, they've got chat, like they've got all of these things that fit really well. If you get someone to pay attention, one of the things that we've struggled with is like, okay, so now what? Now now how do we convert them? The score helps give you, you know, information you need and tools that you want. To, and then you have Penn National at the bottom, which, you know, will happily, happily take your bet. Yeah. We get the feed. We used to get the feedback all the time of like, you know, hey, I go to Barstool and ESPN. Those are the only two apps I go to. Could you just put sports scores in Barstool Sports, and then I wouldn't have to go to ESPN? Like people would say that to us all the time. And now, you know, we were like, no, well, we're not going to put ESPN in our app, obviously. But now we have three three companies in the mix who create who do different things and provide different value to the consumer. Um, who can really work well together. Yeah, it's funny. The score, I mean, I saw some skeptical reporting when that was announced. And it was like, I, I mean, I've, I've had the score app on my phone, you know, and I haven't been, been gambling with it, but I've had it on my, my phone for probably 15 years. It's just like to look at the sports scores. You know, it's the idea that it's not this, this it's on an all-consuming kind of uh, uh, app is is strange to me. But obviously the gambling part of it, it makes it even more interesting. But, but it actually does kind of dovetail with the next thing, which is live sports. Because as you mentioned, you know, I think live sports may be the last, like, quote, legacy media play uh, that they have left um, is that people want to, you know, in many instances, sit in front of a thing. I in my, I'm old school. I want to sit in front of a TV and and turn to a channel and watch a, you know, a live sporting event that I'm interested in. Um, and I know Barstool's gotten involved now with the Arizona Bowl. That that seems like it's going to be a real, you know, interesting both case study, um, but also potentially a beginning of where another sort of avenue Barstool's going to get more involved in. Yeah, I mean, we are, you know, my Twitter handle right now is we'll work for rights. Like, <laughs> we want live rights. I, it's a frontier that we have always dreamed of and wanted, never thought it was possible, never thought we would, gambling would be legal. So it's like, you know, all of these things are happening that are very ripe for things that we've always wanted to do. Um, You know, one of the things that I think Dave and I always shared in common from the very beginning is people would pressure us on like, what's your five-year plan? And what's your, what's your vision mission strategy? And we were like, we don't fucking know. Like, (laughs) We're just going to take advantage of every possible thing that's in front of us. And when the Arizona Bowl reached out, we said, let's go. We flew to Tucson. We've met with them. We've spent countless hours with them. 
And the idea that you could bring, you know, a college football championship to life in a way that only Barstool can do and only on Barstool, I think is incredibly exciting. And I, I'm very bullish that this is a watershed moment because I, what I know is that we understand how to make content compelling and we're not restricted by people who've been producing live television for a hundred years or however many years. And we're not restricted by large infrastructure in a traditional media company or a large you know, digital platform. So we will be more nuanced. We will be more creative. We're talking about a hot dog, you know, a taste test with Frank the Tank instead of a coin toss. Like, whoever picks the right hot dog gets the, gets the ball first. Like there's, I guarantee no one at Facebook, YouTube, ESPN, NBC, CBS, nobody's saying, how do we get Frank the tank and a hot dog to replace the coin toss? Like that's exactly what makes us different. And then I think the other little dirty secret in the live bit live, live rights or live sports business is it's all the same back end companies. So everyone is like, Ooh, can barstool, can Barstool pull this off? Like it's going to be a lot of work. It's some risk. We have to we have to execute well. But it's all the same back end trucks. It, the trucks that used to work for CBS are now going to work for Barstool Sports, and that's what I love about being in a disruptive company. Is it's not that hard to figure out if you put your eyes to it and you put your energy and your work behind it and. That's what I'm very grateful for about the culture we've created is that that is exactly what this company is going to do. We, we will announce you know, in, in a very short amount of time another live event that we'll be doing. We obviously are having bigger conversations uh, with sports leagues around live rights. And, and basically, everyone is looking for attention and every sport, show, podcast, personality, they need eyeballs. And what we have done, a, I think, a very good job of is is having highly engaged eyeballs, yeah, and being break things through. It, it, it's it's interesting. You, talk, you mentioned the uh, sports leagues, and I, I will say I don't know if this is the one that you're uh, sort of referencing, but there were rumors that Major League Baseball is in talks with Barstool Sports as well. And it's always funny to me. I, don't, I never know why certain things become these controversies in the media, and certain things don't. Um, and uh, and for whatever reason, the Arizona Bowl was pretty much greeted, but seemed like very positive uh, news. And then the Major League Baseball one brought out all of the old, you know, the old barstool critiques. Uh, the Washington Post described it as, uh, a, you know, the divisive company that, that, you know, Major League Baseball was considering this. A uh, MSNBC contributor, Laura Bassett, uh, tweeted that, that the shit, this was her comment, have decided I'm going to partner with Barstool Sports to ensure that no woman is interested in watching my sport ever again, excited for the money, uh, referencing the Major League Baseball thing. I, I, I don't totally get it. Um, but what do you think it was about that news that brought the, you know, the old critiques back? You know, it's funny. You never really know. You never really know when the old critiques will hit, uh, to be super honest. You know, I, I kind of went through the same thing in women's hockey, to be honest with you. And I think one of the things that surrounds sports, it's a very tight ring of, I would use the word loosely, journalists who have strong opinion about how that sport should 
should be, insert any word here, played, broadcast, covered, managed, monetized. Like there is a lot of um, entrenched opinion. And there are a lot of people out there who don't like barstool sports. They don't like barstool sports for things that Dave said. They don't like barstool sports for things that we've done. They don't like barstool sports because they don't like things that are funny. I don't know. Like they don't like barstool sports for <laughs> they think we're ugly. I, I don't, there's a whole host of reasons why you cannot like. I, I, I would, can I throw another one out there? Because it's, it's extremely successful. Um, you know, right. if it was That's like exactly. floundering, it, no one would really care much. Exactly. Um, but you know, I've always said this, which is if I spent all my time trying to cater to the pe- to people who don't have an open mind about this company, who have made a decision about us, you know, in 2012, and who want to dig in and, and entrench themselves in that point of view, in that in that worldview, and who don't care to be current with the, with the brand or the business, like that's just a waste of my time. So I don't know what it is about Major League Baseball. You know, I think part of it is that Major League Baseball has historically been, you know, it's America's pastime. It's a very conservative league. It is an older skewing sport, you know, to be honest with you, that's why I think Major League Baseball needs platforms on the Internet and people like Barstool Sports. We've worked with Major League Baseball in the past. Um, But overall, what I would say to it, Steve, is that, you know, part of the challenge for the leagues is that they need to continue to grow the game and they need to continue to grow ticket sales and need to continue to grow the ad dollars and the rights deals around their sport. And, you know, whether it's hockey, whether it's football or baseball, it, it doesn't matter what the sport is unless they can find new addressable audiences or new platforms to engage audiences or new formats to engage those audiences with, they will not succeed long-term. Yeah. It's an interesting proposition. And I, and I think about this a lot with golf. Um, I'm a big golf fan, golf, uh, betting DFS, uh, uh, fan. And, uh, and I think that there, there's, there's so much that a, a you know a league essentially like the PGA an organization can do to to start thinking about the future and where things are going and 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 I think that's a big mistake that you know whether it's Major League Baseball or you know a company like a you know CNN I'll just throw out there they don't they think about what's happening right now and they try to kind of dig their heels in and just and just you know get it while they can while the walls are crumbling around them rather than starting to think about what is the the landscape look like 5 10 years from now and how do we start preparing for that now by being smart and by by thinking ahead and by not just by not just like you know leaving ourselves to to the way that we've always done it totally i mean i think if you look at i mean here's my honest opinion about it is the those companies are very very bloated um the, we have 200 and maybe 60 people in this company. Maybe we're at 270 right now. We had 15 people five years ago. So we've grown a lot. We think we're quite large compared to what we used to be. We are a fraction of the size of a CNN. You know, we don't even, we're a rounding error on the size of an ESPN oh, or yeah. an NPCOT. And the problem is, is when you have that much middle management, you have that much bureaucracy, you have that much process, 
And then you have that much fear inside of an organization about the shield. So whether it's, you know, the NBC sports brand or the CNN brand or whatever the brand, the NFL brand, that permeates itself through a lot of bodies. And those bodies want to keep their jobs. You know, in most cases, these people, you know, if you look at ESPN, like you don't want to go find another job in Bristol, Connecticut. There is not another job in Bristol, Connecticut. You want to hang on to that great job you have for as long as humanly possible. And so as a result, the system kind of calcifies around itself. And as a result, you can only see the status quo. And you, you, you have fewer and fewer eyes for what's happening outside because you're spending more and more energy and time preserving your position and pre- preserving the status quo inside. You know, I, I remember working for Microsoft in the early 2000s and I was like, oh my God, like all anyone at Microsoft cares about is Microsoft. <laughs> and we're out here in an island in Seattle. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. It, like this isn't where the world is happening. And, you know, I, I think part of the issue is when you have that level of calcification, some maverick person who has eyes for TikTok or, you know, they're not going to thrive. Nobody, they're not going to amass a bunch of followers. They're not going to be a Pied Piper inside of that, you know, inside of that company. It, like I remember meeting with Discovery a year ago and, you know, I love the guys at Discovery, but they were like pissed off that they didn't think about true true, true crime podcasts because they have ID or whatever the network is. Yeah, it what they were pissed about it. It they were pissed about it versus like, hey, why don't you go give a bunch of money to a bunch of twenty somethings and have them go make a bunch of true crime podcasts? Like, it just doesn't work that way when your organization and your operation is so big. And it's oriented to something that is in decay. I saw the same thing at AOL. Like, you know, AOL tried to build brands the way AOL built brands in 2005. (laughs) Yeah. You can't build brands that way anymore. The Fourth Watch Lightning Round is coming up. But first, the Call Her Daddy mega deal with Spotify and what it signals for the state of the podcast industry. Here's a company that's maybe thinking of things a little bit better uh, and and thinking ahead, and that's um, Spotify, which, uh, you know, has recently brought on Call Her Daddy, which, you know, became a giant success um, at Barstool Sports with Alex Cooper. Um, she now gets even a more giant, uh, successful deal um, with Spotify. And and uh, you talk a lot about kind of the, the industry as a whole. And I think I think podcasting is something that's, you know, obviously from, from a day job point of view, very interesting to me, um, but also... You know, I think is really a it's it's an interesting moment we're in because, you know, I had a podcast back at Media Bistro in like 2008 um, and this was, you know, we're talking about 13 years ago, um, but it still feels very much like we're in the wild west of of podcasting um, and that there's this arms race going on, which seems like it's going to to be kind of where the industry's headed over the course of the next, you know, maybe year or two. Um, and I think certainly the Caller Daddy deal is part of that. Do you think that's a good thing that it's not necessarily based on, you know, we're not looking at the numbers and the revenue and all that. It's really just about like building up this cachet. Um, I, so I have a lot of opinion about this. I feel it's great for the internet and it's great for personalities. Like 
power to Alex Cooper, go get your payday, right? Like I love that, that the personalities and brands being born out of the internet are winning. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Biggest champion of it. Huge champion of Alex as a woman, right? Like love that. Um, and you could say, you know, the same is true for Rogan or, you know, the Will Arnett podcast. Like, great. Like, it's great to see internet characters, brands, shows, personalities thriving. Yeah. Um, this isn't the first time, you know, the internet has been in this place. You know, it's Facebook went through this two years ago. They had a big, you know, tranche of money and they're looking to buy shows for Facebook Live. It didn't work. Uh, YouTube did this, you know, 10 years ago where YouTube had the big creator fund and they were buying this show and that show and this show and that show. Um, I don't frankly think any of those have been successful. Yeah. If you if you look back, you know, all these companies spend a boatload of money buying a bunch or renting or buying a bunch of IP. Whether they succeed or not, you know, yes, it has something to do with the, the shows that they choose and the personalities they buy, but more so it has to do with the overall success of the platform itself. So I think the question for Spotify is, one, can Spotify make Alex Cooper twice as big as she is now? Can Spotify get podcasting to be, you know, not 2% of their business, but 5% of their business or 10% of their business. And then how much leniency do they have on their PL? You know, like Spotify is not worried about cash, obviously. Right. But their sales team probably has a massive bounty on that show that's never going to be met because the economics of the show that the show cost can never be made whole by a bunch of ad deals. And Spotify, you know, it, in stark compare, contrast to us, which is we'll monetize anything, any way, any time, right? Whether it's merch or a live event or it's a licensing agreement or it's advertising, um, we'll do all of that. Spotify has one ad format and they're such a big company, they can't stray from a very scaled, highly commoditized ad format. So... In my opinion, you know, I think it's good for internet creators. I think it's risky um, because, you know, essentially by ripping yourself off of other distribution, you are essentially saying you're taking a check versus taking eyeballs. Yeah. That's always dangerous. Um, and then the third is you're putting a lot of faith in the success of the platform. Look at you know, Complex did that deal with Go90. I mean, Go90 was like an absolute abject failure. <laughs> right. right. Complex, you know, bet the farm. Yes, they took a shit ton of money. But like, was that the right thing to do to start to make all this content for Go90 and put all your resource to that? I would say it, it wasn't. Maybe they would disagree. And you know, the way I see the world is that the only thing that matters is brand and audience. Yeah. And then to the audience point, I mean, the, the, the last thing before we get to kind of the lightning round is with the podcast, it, it reminds me a little right now of, of the movie industry where there's like the very tippy top, the, the blockbusters, the Alex Coopers and the Joe Rogans. And like you mentioned some of those, and then you can find some success at the very low end. You know, you've got a small production and you, all you need is like a, you know, couple thousand listeners and you're and you got yourself a little business but there's so much so many so much content in between 
that's just kind of getting lost because there's not a real discoverability, you know, thing happening right now. Maybe Spotify is doing a little bit better than Apple is certainly, but I worry about what the rest of the of the industry looks like, and and, and is there actually a business model for it? Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, Spotify bought all those companies, and I think what they're saying by virtue of the Rogan deal or Caller Daddy is that they can't grow stars inside of Spotify. Yeah, you have to buy them. Yeah, you got to buy the stars. So that's a little bit alarming um, because if the platform was thriving, theoretically, they should be able to grow stars within the platform. Now, maybe they're working on that, and maybe that will happen. I don't know. They're smart people at Spotify. Like I'm sure they'll figure it out. Um, I think the second piece is, look, you, it doesn't take anything, but I'm, I'm on zoom right with you right now on my computer. Like it doesn't take anything to have a podcast. So with such a low barrier of entry, there is a glut of supply. And the other thing that nobody's talking about is, you know, in my opinion, the pandemic changed everything for podcasts. Uh, because people stopped commuting. It like it fundamentally changed a listening behavior, which is exacerbating. There's not enough time. People's attention spans are even shorter. I think the pandemic had a crazy impact on people's attention spans. TikTok contributed to that. People have like nanosecond attention spans. Right. So a of, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of long-form podcasts that nobody has time to listen to that aren't discoverable and that you have very little, you know, one of the things with podcasts is you don't get to taste it before you buy it. You know what I mean? It's not like they're not well promoted there. You don't get a lot of teasers for podcasts. So it makes this industry, I think somewhat challenged and interesting. And then you look at, you know, Apple had a massive change in, their methodology. Like it's, so it's like, there's a lot of challenges around podcasting right now. I'm still very bullish. I'd be way more bullish on a podcast than a television show by all means, but the smart people are going to figure out that it's IP that cannot be any one thing. Right. It has, to be, it has to be short form, has to be long form, has to be experiential, has to be productized. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's something that I, I'm, I'm bullish also, although I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very interested in, in kind of seeing where things go. Cause I feel like we're at kind of this precipice right now where it could go different ways, but, um, all right, we talk about this all day. Let's go to the last thing. Six questions, 60 seconds. Where were you okay. born? I was born in Denver, Colorado. You're the CEO of Barstool Sports. What is one benefit and one cost of the job? Ooh, benefit is so many t-shirts. <laughs> I could live in t-shirts for the next 100 years and not run out of t-shirts. And a cost is a uh, high personal cost. Yeah. Who's someone who's been a mentor for you? Uh, Joanne Bradford. Uh, go ahead. Who's one person you really like professionally or personally that may surprise people? Burke Mag Magnus at ESPN. All right. Who's one person in the media you think's really interesting or talented that isn't getting enough attention? Ooh, Steve, this is a good one. Give me two seconds on this one. All right. Not getting enough attention. Um, Riggs, Barstool Riggs. 
I think Barstool Riggs is one of the hardworking, quietly disruptive people in golf. And I think he's only scratching the surface and people haven't totally noticed. Nice. One year from today, what is one prediction for the media? One year from today, the convergence of leagues, betting, and live rights and media will be, you will see so much more convergence than you're seeing right now. Erica, thanks so much for doing this. Okay, cool, Steve. Thank you. Thanks so much to Erica. Remember, Fourth Watch, not just a podcast, it's also a newsletter. You can subscribe for free at fourthwatch.media. Join me. Let's build a better media together. If you like the music in the show, as I do, check out the artist who created it, Super Duper. That's Super Duper Music on Instagram. The song is Far From Falling. Download it wherever you get your music. And download and follow and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you get your podcast. This was produced at Full Circle Studios in Addison, Texas. Next episode, the one-year anniversary of the Fourth Watch Podcast. We're going back to guest number one. Got Tucker Carlson coming on. Back soon. Stay safe. Talk to you then.